the Court Jesters, a podcast with two attorneys licensed in the state of Michigan talking about the law in fun and interesting ways. My name is Kate. I'm Melissa. All right. And this is, is this double digits episode 10? I think it is. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, it might be it might be eleven because we'll probably post April Fools first because of just the calendar. Yes. But yeah, okay. it's the tenth one we're recording though. All right, yeah, because I originally had this as eight. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> but like, I'll get into it later. I was trying to get a guest on board for today. Yeah. Um, she just had a baby yesterday, mm-hmm. so yeah. she's a little busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, first, I actually want to kind of I don't know correct the record um with our last two episodes that were just released um I listened to another podcast called that spooky with Tyler and Johnny and as Hmm. they like to say it they do oopsie poopsies (laughs) oh that's cute (laughs) (laughs) yeah so oopsie poopsies poopsies that I know of um first is the bakery case that we talked about um Mm -hmm. with the St. Patrick's Day so I had said that the transcend transgender case did not go to appeal it actually did uh, mm. when I was looking for uh, Instagram photos I saw um, more recently it was like 2022 it was heard by the Supreme Court and oh it was still okay a partial win on appeal so that's still great news I think it's yeah. probably going to be a subject that I return to later to mm. dive deeper into that right appeal issue um and then secondly I just want to clarify some trademark law regarding monopoly so the genericness test is at the time that you filed for the trademark. So okay. that's why the history of monopoly was so important in that case to show mm. that before they had a before Parker Brothers had applied for that trademark, other people were already using that exact same game. They yeah. there were even a group of people that were using the name monopoly to describe that game, so that's why it was important. So I'd use like mm. kind of the analogy with Kleenex. So Kleenex will not lose its trademark just because they're so popular that their name mm-hmm. is synonymous with the uh, product. Yeah. But if Kleenex was already the generic term for facial tissues at the time that Kleenex tried to register that trademark, right. then there would be that issue. So okay, that makes sense. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. All right. So for episode 10 or 11, well, we <laughs> are now, <laughs> we're now going to shift over to the topic we picked of winter sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to a Red Wings game with my organization back Ooh. in January. And this was actually the second um, outing to a Red Wings game we had done as an organization. They like mm-hmm. give us the entire, uh, what do they call it? Gondola section, which is like, oh, the that's nice. you can go. It's kind of scary but it's nice because it's like it's basically like one row of seats and you can like look straight down you don't have anyone Mm -hmm. in front of you and then behind is like um like a high bar sort of thing so you can Mm. sit either right down facing the ice or behind and like eat which is what I prefer to do (laughs) and you have a lot of space to like move around and interact so um, oh that's neat yeah I really like Little Caesars Arena yeah, I do too. And I used to work for Illich Holdings and we like they'd give us free Tigers tickets all the time. But uh, the wings were much harder to get. And we definitely yeah. didn't get our own section like that or anything. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, and it's really cool too, because you have pretty close access to like bars and food. Mm. And the um, the organ player is like 
right at the same level too, so you can go over and take a picture. His oh, that's just, cool. Like, red sequins. It's like, oh, like, neat. <laughs> right. Um, so anyways, we came up with winter sports after I went to that Red Wings game. And even though it was back in January, um, you know, we've been kind of working on our notes over the course of a few weeks to kind mm. of make sure everything is complete. Um, and going to this Red Wings game, it reminded me of an article I had read recently about the former Red Wings Zamboni driver named Al Sabatka. And when I started doing research, I realized, oh, this was just last year in 2022. I thought mm. it was like a long time ago, like several mm. years, but you know what? The pandemic is strange. Things. Right. <laughs> time is a construct now. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I have two main articles I used Helen St. James, ex Detroit Red Wings Zamboni driver, Al Spotka, fired for peeing into drain. Mm. And Bob Duff, court papers show Red Wings fired Sabatka for urinating in public. Um, mm. These are both in April of 2022. So, so here's some background. So February 2nd of 2022, Al Sabatka drove one of the Zamboni machines into its garage at Little Caesars Arena after cleaning the ice at the main rink. Sabatka, according to the lawsuit, experienced an uncontrollable urge to urinate. The nearest facility was 60 to 70 feet away. So instead, he used one of the drains that led into a sewer designed to handle ice runoff from Zamboni machines. The area is close to the public and access is limited to the all-male ice crew. Sabatka was urinating between two Zambonis when he was seen by a male employee. Hmm. Two days later, he's called into a meeting with his supervisor and a human resources representative. Initially, he was suspended for a week and then was terminated on February 17th. That kind of sucks as, like, that your coworker does that to you. Yeah, right? Like, and so, so all I remember really was, like, oh, this guy peed into a drain and got fired. Right. And so, like, your gut reaction is, like, well, yeah, of course. Right, yeah. In researching this, my point of view very much flips into being mm. very sympathetic. Yeah. And... So what made the news was like in March of 2020. Oh, Al, Al got fired because he's actually a pretty well-known character for the Red Wings. Oh, okay. So it was already in the news. And yeah. then a month later when he files this lawsuit is when you get all of these details. Mm -hmm. um, so just some history for Al. He was 17 when he got a job at Olympia Stadium in 1971. He was originally born in Poland and he attended Detroit Northwestern and graduated from Derby High. After high school, uh, his neighborhood friends helped him to get hired at Olympia Stadium, where he worked on the cleaning crew. He started on the midnight shift and moved to the day shift and worked his way up to building operations manager at Cobo Hall. He served in this capacity at both Joe Lewis Arena when the team relocated to Little Caesars Arena in 2017. He also oversaw the quality of the ice. However, making him ironic to the Red Wings faithful was Sabaka's role as the team's main Zamboni driver and chief octopus skinner. <laughs> so it wasn't officially a game night until Sabaka scooped up the first octopus, <laughs> octopus off the ice surface, giving it a victorious 360-degree swing over his head. Sabaka was also whipping 
also whipping a capacity crowd into a frenzy. During the playoffs, the team would hoist a massive purple octopus into the arena rafters. Players on the team lovingly gave the, gave the giant cephalopod the nickname Al. Oh, which... I always thought he was named Stanley, like the Stanley Cup. Oh, no, apparently Al. Interesting. Okay. But huh. I think that is referring to the actual physical octopus in the arena versus, like, the cartoon. Oh, okay. Maybe. I'm not sure. Hmm. I just remember being a kid in the 90s and that purple octopus. Right. <laughs> yep, yep. Back when the cartoons were fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sabaka was also famous around the ring for his barbecue. He would fire up the grill and cook up a savory feast for the players to enjoy post-practice. Hmm. So, definitely a long-term, well-known character. Yeah. Uh, so, this lawsuit... Um, I think why you'll see his his lawyer and him do a ton of like interviews in the public, and I think they are trying to get ahead of the mm-hmm. story. Right, the yeah. story was already out that he was fired, and they knew they were yeah. going to file this lawsuit, and they knew it would look bad because he's confusing a drink. Right. Um, so when he filed this lawsuit, he alleged violations of the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act based on his age, which at the time was 68, and a disability. The suit says that a month prior to the incident, in January of 2022, Sabaka took part in a Zoom meeting with Vice President of Venue Operations Tim Pageant, who told him he was getting old. Additionally, Sabaka had been diagnosed with benign prostatic, I think it's, yeah, prostatic? Prostatic? Not sure. Prostatic sounds right. Right, yeah. Uh, prostatic hypertrophy, which causes a frequent and uncontrollable need to urinate. Hmm. Um, so, the disability, though, was not disclosed to his employer until after the incident. The timing of the diagnosis, uh, the beginning of the symptoms, I don't know how all of that correlates to this mm-hmm. incident. Right, um, okay. So, I... D- this is where I wanted to have our guest on. Let me just say that. So... I don't do employment discrimination law. We don't really do any sort of employment law mm-hmm. other than like unemployment because it's a, it's a government benefit. Um, and I had a very difficult time finding the exact like legal standard of when is mm-hmm. your discipline uh, based on your disability versus just the act itself. Yeah. Right. So if Al knew for some time prior to this specific incident, maybe he should have made a dis- disclosure earlier. Maybe he should have made a request for reasonable accommodations, um, mm-hmm. which could have been like more frequent breaks, maybe a portable toilet with a privacy screen that's closer to the ice. Um, yeah. Reasonable accommodation, you have to disclose it to HR, and then usually there's some sort of process of determining is this accommodation reasonable for both the employer um, and will it accomplish the goal of accommodating the person right yeah so a portable toilet i don't know that that may not be reasonable you know but i mean it's just it's a possibility yeah yeah so he definitely didn't have a reasonable accommodation because he didn't disclose it until after the incident okay Um, and then also there's a question of like well how much is he responsible to remedy the issue himself like Mm-hmm. If he was diagnosed with this several months ago, should he have 
know, like, and he had this urge, should he have been wearing special undergarments? Should he have been right. taking medicine? Should he have been doing other therapies, et cetera? Yeah. Um, I really don't, I don't know the answer to this. Right, right. I don't either. <laughs> and then there's also kind of this question lingering in the back of your mind. Was this actually the first incident or was this just the first time he was caught? Right. Um, so the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act um, prohibits discrimination with respect to employment or compensation or with respect to a term, condition, or privileges of employment because of an individual's religion, race, color, national origin, sex, age, pregnancy, height, weight, or marital status, and as of recently, sexual orientation and Woo-hoo! gender orientation. So, yeah. Yay! Yay! Um, which is interesting that they specifically list pregnancy because I tried to make a uh, complaint to the Michigan Department of Civil Rights and they, um, they, uh, it was, it was about, um, a pregnancy I had earlier and I was like, I'm being denied this benefit because of my status as pregnant. And they're like, well, it's not a discrimination unless they're discriminating on men. Or unless, unless they are treating men differently. And I'm like, what? what? That doesn't make any sense. So basically, right. I was to ask for bereavement leave because I had a miscarriage. And our policy specifically says you can get three days of leave if you have mm-hmm. a death of the child. So I'm like, well, I was denied the bereavement time because I was told that was not a child. And I'm like, but, but I was pregnant. Right. right? Like, yeah. Anyways, so. And I... I don't know. I guess maybe their point of view is like when they're saying that it has to be um, a discrimination against a man would be like if the man was trying to get bereavement leave for the same thing like his wife had. But still, that doesn't make sense to me fully. And and I think it's because they were looking at sex versus pregnancy status. And it's just like, I'm not going to try like three days of bereavement. By the time it got to, like, this is months ago, so it's like, I'm, yeah. just, I'm done with this argument. I don't yeah. fight anymore. But this is, the state of our justice system is, like, people just give up and say, keep fighting. Because it's right. so, ugh. Anyways, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Would they have let you, like, use vacation days? Yes. Or it was just, okay. Yes, and I was allowed to use FMLA because, gotcha. um, like, medical reasons that I needed to take time off. But the med- yeah. FMLA is actually unpaid. I don't think people realize this. Right. FMLA yep. allows you to take time off with a guarantee that your job is going to be there when you come back, but you don't get paid for that unless you're using PTO. Right. And we at my workplace have um, short-term and long-term disability benefits as well, but I yeah. just learned this week that um, you have to fully use all of your sick time, all of your vacation time, all of your personal time. So basically any options that you have short of using the disability, you have to use those first before your disability will kick in. Yeah, I know a lot of places have that. I don't think we have that because I also did like a one month leave of absence prior to that uh, for mental health reasons. And mm-hmm. I used, I took one month off FMLA. I used two weeks of PTO. And mm-hmm. then short-term disability does not kick in until it's been at least, like, 14 continuous days off. Okay. So then I got a one-week short-term disability. Oh, gotcha. Um, okay. Um, 
but I think I was able to keep a few days of PTO because yeah. I like to have at least two or three days in my bank just for like right. yeah. purposes. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I'd but, be scared like what happens if I do legitimately get sick again after this yeah. and I don't have sick days anymore, you know? So Yeah. <sighs> yeah, and currently I'm on intermittent leave, which um for me means that I'm doing I'm only working six hours a day Mm -hmm. and then my last two hours are unpaid. So I'm basically converting from salary to hourly, Mm -hmm. but I still am retaining my benefits, which is really good. That's good. Yeah. And hopefully this will just be short term until I can get my meditation figured out and emotions balanced. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. So that being said, this is like part of why I'm like, really interested in this case and why like mm-hmm. my sympathy I think has flipped a lot right yeah um so again this is why I think him and his attorney really went to the media to try and explain hey we I have this disability like this is it mm-hmm. wasn't that I just felt like I wanted to pee in the drain it was right I really had to go I knew I was not going to make it to the bathroom and in that moment in my mind like that was the appropriate thing Maybe it wasn't the appropriate thing to do, but I, this is the first time this has ever happened. Yeah. Um, I've got 50 years of an exemplary record. Like, this is not a good reason to terminate me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, basically, just my opinion on this lawsuit is, okay, he peed in a drink. It's unsanitary, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just gross. Yeah. And also, he was seen by an employee. So is that, like, sexual harassment? Is that just, you know, the act of public, I don't know, what is that? Like, public nudity, I guess? I guess guess my issue with it, though, is I'm thinking men often pee at urinals. So, like, and granted, I don't know what that's like as a woman, but I would assume... You see other people's junk sometimes. That's just yeah. the nature of it. And if he had gone into that bathroom with all these urinals and his coworker walked in, like, it, it's like, yeah. what is the difference? I don't, I right. don't get it. Yeah. I think every single bathroom should just be, like, unisex, floor to ceiling coverage. Mm-hmm. Like, the right. little doors that we have in America are just, right. like, what, what is the point of that? It's a joke. I know. <laughs> yeah. And, it's like I have seen female or women's bathrooms where like they don't have doors. Usually it was when I was a kid. It was very old facilities. I never mm-hmm. really understood the point of that either. It's just right. like, what are we doing? I yeah. Don't understand. So yeah, I don't I don't get urinary or uh, urinal culture at all. Although right. I will say this too. I I didn't represent this person. I think she was a client of a different attorney, and so I'm getting this story like secondhand, but it was at a Tigers game. This girl was drunk, of course. And you know the lines for the women's bathrooms are, like, around mm-hmm. the corner. Right. And so she's like, screw it. I'm just going to go into the men's bathroom. Yeah. And she did. And I don't even think – I don't think she used the urinal, you know, like, squatted over a urinal. I think she right. went into, like, <laughs> Into the stall. Room. Yeah. But she ended up getting – uh detained by security and then later arrested and charged with like indecent exposure and it's like right that's insane the men's bathroom right like it was and then it's like and you have to face all the other consequences of that being on your record and yeah like is that gonna 
impact you being on like the sex offender registry. Right. Yeah. And that's opens a whole other can of worms about like transgender folks Mm -hmm. and like how we deal with that or someone who's maybe a lesbian and presents a little more masculine and shows up in the girl's room, you know, like. And right. people start taking issue with that for whatever reason. Yeah. And it's they stupid. do specify that the ICE staff is all male. I think it just happens to be right. all male. I don't think it's Yeah, like, yeah. A requirement. Right. Like yeah. But it's like, would it have made a difference if it was a female employee or a female presenting employee that caught him in right. the Right. Um, I don't know. Right. Yeah. yeah. I guess I would understand it a little bit more, but. Yeah. Really. But, yeah. You have to think like what is this relationship there? They this I feel like they're like, they must not have liked one another before mm-hmm. this happened. That's my my right. sense. And there's still this age thing too. I mean, he's 68, right. he's been there for 30 years. It's like Yeah. Very very much in that baby boomer generation. Right. Um so what else I have to think about too is like the only reason he did pee in the drain is because he has this disability, right? It's not... Yeah. It, like, he had to go. He knew he was not going to make it to the bathroom. Yeah. What if he had made a different decision? What if he had peed himself on the way to the bathroom? Is that also unsanitary? Is that also a cause for termination? Right. What if it wasn't urine in the drain? What if he had the flu and he vomited in the drain? Like, mm-hmm. I would just think, like, of course course that's not an offense you can fire someone for. right right sick. so it's like yeah. what makes it different you know this yeah. situation so yeah. i can really see it both ways here the problem is going to be though my understanding is that employers have a lot of discretion here oh yeah they are totally going to focus on well we don't care about his disability we don't care about his age we're focusing clearly clearly on this act and we believe that this act is severe enough to warrant discipline. And they have that ability to do that. And especially, I'm assuming that it's not unionized. He's probably an at-will employee, even though he's been yeah. there for, you know, 51 years. They right. can fire you for any reason at all, as yeah. long as it's not based on your disability, sex, blah, 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 as we already right. discussed. Yep. So, yeah. Um, and they have a very aggressive legal team at that particular Little at Little yeah. Caesars, at least. I don't know. I guess well, I don't know Olympia about Olympia, yeah. which is they're both under Illich Holdings. Um, but I I just know I looked into joining and I was told that uh, I probably wouldn't like it. Someone told me, <laughs> but they make good money. So, hey, good for them. Yeah. Oh, are you watching um, Love is Blind season four? I have not yet. Oh, it just came out. I just started yeah. watching it. And one of the guys, I feel so bad for him. I haven't figured out what city they're in, but this guy's a criminal defense attorney. I'm sure it's he's not like a PD. I'm sure he's in private practice. But yeah, you know, one of the clips they were he was just talking about his background, saying how he like went out, got out of law school, made a lot of money for his firm, and then mm-hmm. hated his life. So then he right went to like exactly yeah a uh, criminal defense. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. And, so I'm like, it's so funny how many people hate corporate law. I know. I wish I had listened to them. Like I had people in law school tell me like, why are you doing this to yourself? And I wish I had taken them more seriously. But I was like, I'm a Slytherin. I'm going to do this if I yeah. want to do this. 
That's why we stupid me. Board games. <laughs> right. <laughs> during law school, it's like that first year, even that first semester, you're like, okay, I can't quit. I can't quit. I gotta right. like make it through. Show that I'm, you know, it's I I deserve to be here and all this stuff. And you yep. see other people dropping out. You're like, oh, I can't be like them. And it's like, yep. damn it, those people were smart. We're smart. <laughs> All right. So actually, so this is a lawsuit. It's an ongoing lawsuit uh, in Wayne County Circuit Court, case number 22-004643-CD, which is Employment Discrimination Case Code. Um, There was a settlement conference scheduled for March 14th, and that got adjourned to May 4th. There's also a hearing scheduled for that day on a motion for summary disposition. And I'm assuming hmm. it's the uh, defendant employer. Probably, yeah. Um, when you have a case in circuit court at the civil division, all cases get referred to case evaluation where both parties come in. There's like a panel of three independent people and they come up with a number of like what they think is a good number to settle with and both mm-hmm. sides have the opportunity to accept it or decline it and then there's all these rules about how if you declined it and then later a jury awards you a, a certain percentage near that number if it's really mm-hmm. far below or really high I, it's like 10 percent, i think yeah yeah i've only done one civil case like that mm-hmm. and it was really confusing because I was like, why are you valuing my case so high? Because I thought it should be. Well, I'm like, this yeah. is a frivolous case. It should be valued at zero. They're like, yeah, but we should value it higher because if the plaintiff, I was on the defense, if the plaintiff declines it and then they lose, like you'll get attorney fees or something. I don't, I don't know. It was like all this other yeah. stuff. And they're, they're like, that's why we're giving it a value. Like it's right. more of a. Yeah, I think they might look at the actual, like, claims involved, but it's more yeah. like money, like, let's just come up with a number that is, I don't know, mm-hmm. what we think people should settle for. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not like you have to accept it. It's both sides either accept or decline. So there's right. different rules that come into play if only one accepts or if they both decline. or Obviously, if they both accept, they both accept, but that's mm-hmm. pretty rare for that so that yeah. happened, that Casey Dale happened, and it looks like they both declined that settlement. I don't know mm-hmm. what the number was that sealed. This is a case where I was so close to driving, though. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Wayne County, I can only see the general registered actions. I can't see any, like, details. Yeah. So, like, I know there was a motion for summary disposition, but I don't know who filed it or what their, their claims right. were. Right. I could physically drive down to Wayne County and go into the basement in the records room, which is like, <laughs> I don't know when that building was built, but it's like straight out. It feels the like a morgue. Place. Yeah. <laughs> it's like dead yeah. down there. <laughs> and you don't have cell service. And yep. you get this like huge physical paper in here. You have to like put paper cups on the papers mm. for what ones you want copies of. And then it's like a dollar per page. And you can't take pictures. You can't have your cell phone out and take pictures, but you can have a notepad and take notes on your notepad. Hmm. <laughs> it's like really strange. Um, anyways, I was really close to actually doing that so I could look at these filings in more detail. Yeah. And I was able to kind of skim over an opinion or the complaint. And then it's like when I tried to revisit it, it was behind a paywall. So mm. 
look at it in more detail, but it was very brief. Uh, complaints always have to be very just generic. Here's right. the law. Here's what we want. And not really go into all of their arguments, like, because that's going to happen yeah. in trial. Um, yeah. So I wasn't able to really see what all of their arguments were, but I'm really curious. Uh, and it hasn't really been in the media since the filing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Maybe we'll have an update in May. Yeah. Um, and it seems like I, I watched a few of his interviews with, um, oh, Ernie. Is it Ernie? I don't know. One of the sports guys that I can't stand on local news. But uh, <laughs> uh, it seems like he really just wants his job back. I don't think that's. Yeah. Happen. Right. Um, I don't think so either, unfortunately. And it, yeah. And it really just seems that like he had this really long career. He didn't get a retirement. He didn't get a party. He doesn't have any recognition. Like, this yeah. is how he's going out. He seems really upset about it, and it really sucks. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the younger generations, like, who gives a shit is kind of their mentality because, like, mm. we don't have any expectations of stuff like right. that. But for that generation, yeah. they do. Yeah. You know? And, like, that's your whole goal that you've been working 50 years towards. Oh, yeah. I, I and... get it. I know Little Caesars, I guess I don't know about Olympia, but the longer you're there, they give you a ring. I want to say it's at five years. And then every five years after that, you get another diamond. So there are like perks that are monetary as well for staying longer, um, at least with Little Caesars corporate. So I would assume Olympia has something similar. So he's losing those benefits too. That might have also been another reason why they really were just looking for a reason to fire him. Right? right he's been there for 50 years and he doesn't really have any plans on leaving yeah i wonder how much diamonds he's got anyway but I right <laughs> i don't think he's got much i mean i yeah he's definitely gonna get some sort of settlement but um yeah i think i think he's gonna get a hard time getting sympathy from younger generations but like i said like once you really kind of look into it and yeah see his side of the story it's like okay i i do get it i do get that yeah um so yeah it's uh end of end of an era that's for sure yeah that's a bummer all right well that's it for my main case i do have a weird law and some self-care but uh we can do that later Okay. Um, So for mine, I have one kind of shorter case that I found, and then I'm going to do a little bit of an update on our snow episode, um, because I did get the book. It is called Winter of Frozen Dreams, The True Story of Passion, Greed, and Murder in Madison, Wisconsin. So we'll get back to that after. Um, All sorts of updates today. I know. (laughs) Um, The first one I'm going to cover, though, we're going back to 2020. So it's February 29th of 2020. Two men meet uh, to discuss and negotiate the sale of a ranch located in, I'm probably going to totally butcher this, Cabazon Peak in rural Sandoval County, New Mexico. Those are hard words for me for some reason. (laughs) Um, Sandoval? Sandoval, maybe? Yeah. Anyway, we're in New Mexico, like kind of in the middle of nowhere, it sounds like. Um, The ranch was owned by Guillermo Ariola, a 47-year-old man, and the person looking into purchasing the ranch was named Dean Cummings. Now, Dean, I love the name Guillermo. Oh, I do too. It's fun to say. (laughs) 
Uh, Dean Cummings is a professional skier. He was a former U.S. freestyle ski team member and is considered one of the world's most extreme skiers, as well as one of the best among his peers, uh, as evidenced by the fact that he was listed as one of Ski Magazine's top 25 skiers. He's also known as a pioneer of, I think it's pronounced heliskiing, because uh, it comes from helicopter, so heliskiing, um, which is where the skier is taken up the mountain by helicopter instead of using a ski lift, and then they're just dropped out of the copper. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very extreme. Um, he also owned a skiing company called Valdez H2O Heli Adventures, and he taught a course called Dean Cummings Big Mountain Camp at a popular ski resort in Utah. However, his business came to an abrupt end. It's not really clear why from the interviews that I saw. Um, but Dean decided basically he was looking for a redo on life. And he had started looking around at about five properties in New Mexico that he was interested in purchasing. And so Dean was particularly interested in purchasing Guillermo Ariola's ranch. And Guillermo had allowed him to stay there for a few days to check things out, make sure he went to make the purchase, etc. What kind of skiing is he going to do in New Mexico? <laughs> right. So I think he's looking to leave skiing behind altogether. Okay. Right. I was, so I was thinking like, the same thing. Mexico, right. Like, sense. Yeah, I think he was like his business failed. So he he just completely wanted to say goodbye to skiing and just try starting something else. Um, he described the property as a super beautiful little piece of property on a river. It's got houses, it's got four horse stables, and I'm like, well, I guess it's time to change my life and start where I left off and get off the grid. So he had been staying at the ranch for a couple of days already when he says that he was awakened in the middle of the night by a strange and overwhelming smell. He says he got up, he went to his trailer, and he was planning on leaving right then because the smell was so bad. He uh, specifically said it smelled like propane and garlic, and it was all neuro, like neuroscience. I don't quite understand what he means by that, but that is his quote as to how it smelled. Uh, he winds up not leaving, though. Unclear why he changed his mind but he winds up staying the night and he stays until february 29th of 2020 which is the next day he said at this point the owner guillermo showed up at the ranch around 2 p.m and was acting quote-unquote creepy he said he started to get uncomfortable so he went and he got his rv and he was planning to leave the property again when an argument started between the two so he and Guillermo got into a fight over whether Guillermo had belonged to a vast conspiracy to destroy his heli, uh, Dean's heliskiing company. Uh -oh. So he claimed that there were people conspiring against him who had used a nanobacteria that would enter into people's bloodstreams as a magnetic way to track digital signatures. He described it as terrorism, basically, with 5G and Bluetooth once it's in your cells. So he claims he's confronting Guillermo with this. Guillermo um, apparently jumps at him and yells, I'm going to kill you in response. And so here I'm going to stop a little bit. We kind of can tell where this is going. But upon Dean's arrest, he does something that all lawyers just just love when our clients do. He gives an interview to the press. So and I'm being very sarcastic there I mean, if that wasn't say, clear. <laughs> Yes. So he winds up doing this interview with a news outlet and he told them, Guillermo, he just jumps at me and he goes, expletive, I'm going to kill you. And he has a canister in his hand and it was some sort of deadly expletive. He's like, I got bodies buried on the property, expletive, I'm going to kill you. And he attacks me. 
So Dean says that he had just put a scope on a rifle that was leaning against the wall by the kitchen table because he had intended to go hunting that day. Um, so he says he grabbed his gun. He hits Guillermo with it several times, but Guillermo keeps trying to spray him in the face with some sort of chemical, which where this chemical is coming from, who knows? But then um, Dean says next, I just started pulling the trigger. He says he was kind of out of it by then because of the chemicals and being struck. And he told the news media, I don't even know if I shot him. I shot the floor like five or six times and all of a sudden he just dropped face first. So now Guillermo is down and Dean knows that he needs to call 911, but he doesn't have cell service because they're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so he says the first that first he tries to calm himself down and clear his lungs from the chemical spray by doing some deep breathing exercises and drink, drinking some water. He then gets in the car and he drives three miles over to the closest neighbor's house, who also happens to work in the medical field. So he brings the neighbor back to the ranch where it's pretty obvious to the neighbor that sadly Guillermo is already passed away. Uh, according to the neighbor, Dean also told him that they got into a fight over the property. So at 5.31 p.m., the neighbor finally calls 911 and tells them that a man just approached him and told him that he'd shot another man. So police arrive on scene and things are immediately suspicious to them. Uh, for one, Dean refuses to tell police who he is and he just keeps repeating that he'd shot the man in self-defense. So police find the gun inside and they identify the man as the ranch owner, Guillermo Ariola. And pretty quickly, Dean is charged with second degree murder, tampering with evidence. I'm not clear where that part comes from um, and concealing his identity. So Dean immediately begins verbally attacking everyone he can. He says law enforcement, the mental health providers at the jail, the corrections officers, and the prosecutors are all involved in a global criminal syndicate that's somehow also connected to the Alaskan governor. Not clear there <laughs> what's are, happening. Are uh, basically, yes. <laughs> and the syndicate had sent Guillermo to kill Dean. And he says the hit didn't work, so now it's time for them to try to frame me for a murder. So unsurprisingly right it's it's crazy um so unsurprisingly pretty early on defense counsel does refer dean for competency um so competency is there are two basic different types of it so there's the one that you're going to do first would be a competency to stand trial and that means were you competent or are you competent in the moment do you understand what's going on do you understand what a judge is do you understand what a prosecutor is do you understand your rights um that is the it's a very low standard unfortunately it's just as long as you understand what's going on that's good enough um the other is called criminal responsibility and that's where they're asking were you capable of understanding what was going on at the time the crime was committed um so i believe that they referred him for competency on both um but he does come back as competent which again is not really a surprise it is a very low standard um so long as you understand the basics you're competent to stand trial right and i mean you can have mental health issues and still meet a competency right. standard even if you are like schizophrenic you know like exactly really, right really in, not just you know i mean depression anxiety can be intense but yeah it, yeah when you're like actually like manic and hearing voices even then you can still be most competent of the time you are competent right so. yeah 
Exactly. And so this case does continue on to trial. Um, now, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of details about the trial itself that I could find online, uh, which I really wish that I could um, because the defense evidently ran a very good argument because Dean Cummings was actually found not guilty of second degree murder and the lesser included charge of voluntary manslaughter wow. on November 8th of 2022. Um, I did try to find out what he's been up to for the last four or five months since he was freed, but he hasn't updated his Facebook or Instagram since 2019 before this all began. But I will end on this note. Um, back in 2006, in a ski magazine profile on Dean, his own mother was quoted as saying that as a child, he was small, but he was scrappy. You didn't pick a fight with him. And if you did, you were dead. And that is the story of Dean Cummings. Okay. I, I wish we had more details about this trial because I like, really do, do you, too. Not even involuntarily, involuntarily right. Right. Like, so they clearly ran a very, very good case. So I would love to have seen more I about it, too. I think he's lucky, too, because yeah. there are no witnesses. So it's, right. like, it's just right. his version. And he did the smart thing of immediately trying to get help, right? Yeah. We're watching yep. um, Dead to Me on Netflix right now. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. Okay. I'm only on season two. So, oh, okay. <laughs> but like, death keeps happening and they just keep right. doing it. And it's like, exactly. Yeah. You idiots. Like, you, yeah. This is clearly self defense. Like, what, <laughs> right. what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you? Yeah. And they just keep the making body? it worse. It's like, oh my, oh my gosh. And it's like yeah. so intense, too, because it's like, you know, like the side characters keep coming in and like doing stuff. And so it's like, yeah. It's not that the main characters are necessarily making mistakes and covering up this crime, but it's like everything that's beyond their control is just going wrong. And it's like, yeah, ah, so right. Much anxiety where it's like, I have to stop watching. Have to watch yeah. To uh, love is blind for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And then going back to the case of Barbara Hoffman. Um, so again, I read, um, what I didn't, to be honest, didn't fully read, but skimmed through significantly. Um, Winter of Frozen Dreams. And this part cracks me up right on the front here. It says, she used sex to control her victims, then brutally murdered them for their money! Exclamation point. Like, it just sounds so, like... I'm like, you sound way happier about that than you should be. Yeah. But, you know, that's fine. <laughs> um, it's a very uh, well-used book. It used to be a library book. And then oh, some cool. kid found it and colored all over it. So there's, like, all these, like, markings throughout the book. So it was an experience. Um, <laughs> but basically, um, going back to the story is just a recap. This um, It started really in 74. So Barbara Hoffman was working at this massage parlor. And I say that very loosely. It wasn't just a massage parlor. It was kind of well known as like, I guess, a sex den, you'd call it. Um, a happy endings happy massage ending. parlor. Yeah. There we go. And yeah, shit's great, right? Yes. Oh my God, yes. I love that. This is the finale episode. Yeah. <laughs> happy ending. Right. <laughs> So in 74, um, this guy, Gerald Davies, meets Barbara Hoffman at the massage parlor. Um, and he, you know, initially is going there for sexual reasons, but then he becomes very emotionally connected to her. And so they actually start seeing each other outside of the parlor as well. And they get engaged, but she keeps moving back the wedding date. Um, so they never ultimately got married. 
but supposedly their fiancés at the time that this is happening. Um, so it start, they met in 74. They've been seeing each other for a few years. And then it is December 23rd of 1977 when Gerald Davies is spending the night over her house one night and she wakes him up and she's like, yo, there's a dead body in my bathroom and we need to move it. And so Gerald Davies is like, well, what the hell? Um, he does get up and he helps her move it. It, it. The dead body, she said, was in her bathroom when she got home from work the other day and that she moved it out behind a dumpster, basically behind the apartments. But it felt like it was too close. So she needed to move it further away from her place of living. So they get uh, Gerald's car and they take this body and they drive it out to a park where they see um like a snowbank and then they bury the body inside the snowbank which like we talked about before is maybe not the best plan because snow melts but you know at least they're trying to get rid of a close it was worse when it was in her backyard (laughs) so like i'll give them credit there (laughs) but so it's christmas eve by the next morning they both have plans with their families so she goes over to her family's house he goes to his mom's he's disturbed by this though all day long he can't stop thinking about it he feels terrible so he does the next morning on christmas day go into the police station and confess to having helped her move this body and then he takes police to the body and they discover that the man is someone named harold burge um so they see harold burge And he has his head bashed in, but also his genitals are severely beaten. Um, And unfortunately, they did tell from the autopsy that that was something that had happened to him before he died as well. So this seems very personal suddenly. Um, So they start looking into Barbara because, you know, Gerald Davies has told them that she's the one that found this body. She automatically shuts down, will not talk to police, gets a lawyer, which is, as we talked about before, is a good thing from the defense perspective. Um, So she kind of does everything right in that way, but she ultimately winds up getting uh, arrested for this murder anyway. And Gerald Davies does testify against her at a preliminary examination. And then a little while after that, He himself is also found dead. Before he died, though, he wrote this letter. And let me see. So he wrote a letter to prosecutors that said, I want to write these letters because I want to set the record straight. I was scared. I was jealous. Barb is innocent. And I wrecked her life. All those stories I told about Barb are false. Uh, She never had anything to do with a body at all. She never did. I went crazy. I was so scared. The police scared me. I was crazy. And I didn't know what I was saying. Then I had to keep telling the same story or they would charge me with a crime. Now they did it to Barb instead. And I don't know what to do anymore except to tell the truth. I'm not crazy anymore and I'm not scared. I want to tell the truth. I'm not afraid to go to jail. Barb never had anything to do with the body at all. I swear it and they can do what they want to me. Sincerely, Gerald Thomas Davies. So obviously my first reaction to this was like, this had to be fake. Like Barbara had to write that, right? Well, they do a handwriting analysis on it and it actually was, yes. And it actually was written by him. Um, So they are really surprised. Like they don't know what to do with this. And then he turns turns up dead within days of receiving this letter. So he is found dead in the bathtub at uh, his apartment. And the autopsy initially shows that he had drowned. And there is also an empty bottle of pills. I can't remember if it was Valium or something similar to that, though. So like a heavy 
sedative type of medication. And so the initial theory is perhaps he, this could have been intentional that he overdosed and then he went into the tub to die basically, or that he was just trying to calm down his anxiety. He took too much on accident. It knocked him out while he was taking a bath and he couldn't resuscitate himself basically because he was drowning. Um, So Knowing that, right, (laughs) exactly, gave him all the pills, and and exactly, so and we don't know for sure. Um, but as we talked about before, the coroner is suspicious. Obviously, there are now two bodies connected to Barbara. Um, and we also they did a search of Barbara's home, or I'm sorry, not Barbara, of Harold Burge's home and found these um life insurance policies written to a Linda Miller. So they wind up before uh, Gerald Davies dies, they wind up asking him if he has any idea who Linda, Linda Miller is. And he's the one that tells them it is Barbara Hoffman, that this is a alias she uses because she's afraid of people that work at the massage parlor. So this is her like trying to change her life around and take on a new identity as Linda Miller. So they're suspicious. They have the life insurance policies, two dead bodies. It's weird. Um, So the coroner does further investigation, and then he does determine that there was cyanide in both people's system. Um, So that's how they ultimately got Barbara for this, was that both of them did have lethal amounts of cyanide in their systems, even though they both technically died because of other reasons. So, yeah. So they were able to connect. First of all, she had been a, I believe, a biochemistry major before she quit school to go to this massage parlor. Like she was not a dumb woman. She was very educated. Um, It is a little confusing, I guess, why she had decided to kind of quit the straight and narrow and then go into the massage parlors. But, you know, we don't sex shame here, you know, so whatever you want to do. But um, so... Yes, it was determined that it was cyanide for both of the murders, and then she winds up convicted based on that because they were able to prove that cyanide was delivered to her house as well. So that's, yeah, not a ton of updates, but I kind of feel like it it answered a few more questions that we had the last time we talked about it. Um, like we didn't know how they found out about the life insurance and things like that. Um, and it definitely gave me more pause knowing more details about, uh, Gerald Davies death, but ultimately the cyanide is, you know, the nail in the coffin. Like that didn't just accidentally wind up in his system. Yeah. But I still, I want to know how she got him to write that letter. Right. And I don't know. He might have just written it because he was so in love with her. Right. So that is a possibility too. And he just didn't think that she was going to kill him, but I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. So that's the update on that case as well. <laughs> I'm glad that we were getting updates. So. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, so I had my hockey town lawsuit uh, for winter sports, and I tried to find a weird law that was also kind of along the same page. I ended up spending mm-hmm. a lot of time debunking a lot of weird laws, like. Uh, Oh, there was a few of, like, don't ice skate on this pond in the middle of July. Yeah. Right. (laughs) No, I mean, it it came down to, like, yeah, there were laws about, like, the public works can make certain rules, and the rule is, you know, the pond skating is seasonal, of course. Mm -hmm. Like, it's more common sense than... Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. 
and, and there was another one about, I think it was Vegas or Nevada. Uh, no, no weddings were allowed on an ice skating rink. That was huh. never existed. Um, so oh, you, okay. You can get married on an ice skating rink if you want to. Hey. There's no rules like that. So <laughs> the closest I came to was Massachusetts, weird law. Mm-hmm. And this is going back from my favorite article at Business Insider, Most Ridiculous Laws in Every State. And so for Massachusetts, Part 4, Title 1, Chapter 264, Section 9. Whoever plays, sings, or renders the Star-Spangled Banner in any public place, theater, motion hall, restaurant, or cafe, or any public entertainment other than as a whole and separate composition or number without embellishment or addition in in the way of national or other melodies, or whoever plays, sings, or renders the Star Spangled Banner or any part thereof as dance music, as exit march, or as part of a melody of any kind shall be punished by a fine of not more than $100. So basically, if you're going to play the Star Spangled Banner sporting event, you have to play it as a whole, and you can't yeah. like mix in America the Beautiful or other things. I don't know when this was added. Mm-hmm. They they uh, spelled the word theater T H E A T R E. Ooh. So I don't know if this is old or if it's just like right. some states. Once they use a certain spelling, they continue yeah. to use it. Like in Michigan, marijuana mm. is spelled. With That's H. what I was about to say. I hate it. <laughs> Why it drives me so? crazy. <laughs> oh, so silly. So I don't know if the like they always have to spell theater with an R. Right, maybe. Um, or if it's just an older rule, but um, I know in I don't know if this I want to say it was the nineties, but I just remember as a kid my parents always getting really upset with like pop artists and like just putting a lot of runs in the song mm. and dragging it out and it lasting forever and everyone claps yeah. like before the song is over and it's I mean, they're music majors, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Massachusetts had some pretty. Uh, it doesn't say anything about kneeling during the national anthem, so at least there's that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, <sighs> Self care <laughs> corner. Um, so, my favorite quote of all time is exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy, and happy people don't shoot their husbands, they just don't. And that, of course, is Elwood from Legally Blonde, which uh, I don't know if you still want to go, but uh, Legally Blonde the musical is playing. Oh, yeah. Next upcoming event. Ooh. Fox or the Fisher? Probably the Fisher. Mm, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyways, I agree. <laughs> so, uh, self-care obviously is about um, sports and physical activity. Um, according to Ashish Sharma, MD. Um, this is from Exercise for Mental Health, Primary Care Companion Journal of Clinical Psychiatry in 2006. Uh, exercise improves mental health by reducing anxiety, depression, and negative mood, and by improving self esteem and cognitive function. Hmm. Uh, aerobic exercises, including jogging, swimming, cycling, walking, gardening, and dancing have been proven to reduce anxiety and depression. Uh, improvements in mood are proposed to be caused by exercise-induced increase in blood circulation to the brain 
and by huh. influence on the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and thus on the physiologic reactivity to stress. Mm-hmm. Other hypotheses have that that have been proposed to explain the beneficial effects of physical activity on mental health include distraction, self-efficacy, and social interaction. 30 minutes of exercise of moderate intensity, such as brisk walking for three days a week, is sufficient for health benefits. Moreover, these 30 minutes need not be continuous, so three 10-minute walks are believed to be as equally useful as one 30-minute walk. Mm-hmm. And lastly, health benefits from regular exercise that should be emphasized and reinforced by every mental health professional to their patients include improved sleep, increased interest in sex, better endurance, which is also linked to sex, I guess, I guess <laughs> stress yeah. relief, improvement in mood, increased energy and stamina, reduced tiredness that can be that can increase mental alertness weight reduction, and reduced cholesterol and improved cardiovascular fitness. So it's not that exercise gives you endorphins and endorphins make you happy, but exercise still has a link to happiness and helping your mental health. Yeah. I will say I did – have you ever done a rage room? Or do you know what they are? (laughs) I know what they are, and I feel like I would be really bad at it because I feel really guilty whenever I break. Oh, well, I did one and I will say they are good for when like something big happens. And like, I'm not saying that it's a good thing for your everyday anxiety to just go smash stuff. But if something, you know, big and unfair happens and you really there's nothing that you can do about it and you have something going on in your life, you just need to get that energy out. I think it's Mm -hmm. great for that. And all I remember is at the end of it, just being so physically exhausted but like in a good way that I couldn't even be anxious anymore like I was just there was no room for it so I think that's what exercise does a little bit sometimes too is just like it physically drains your body so Mm -hmm. that the physical symptoms you're having from anxiety kind of don't have space anymore yeah yeah so yeah I highly recommend those if you've never tried one it was fun (laughs) Yeah, I like uh, swimming laps. Uh, I work out with a personal trainer once a week in the morning for half an hour, and I walk the dogs. So that's yeah. And sometimes yoga once a while. If I can yeah. Figure out a way to to schedule it in. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're all set for this week. Um, So if you want to email us, we do have an email address. It is courtjesterspodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram, which is podcastcourtjesters. So follow us there. And we did just um, start up listener support. So it is something where you can donate something like anywhere between 99 cents. And I think it goes up to like $10 a month. Um, It it would just be to help us uh, reimburse us for equipment that we bought for the podcast and things like that. And then eventually we would want to maybe purchase like research apps and things like that, or it would allow us to maybe FOIA request documents so that we have, you know, more information about these cases as well. Um, So that's just an option that's up there now. It is all of this is in our show notes as well. Yes, absolutely. And please email us with corrections or if you think we analyze something incorrectly, like let us know. Mm -hmm. We welcome the criticism. 
Yeah. Or if you have a podcast and would like to maybe collaborate or something, that would be great too. So feel free to, we're very friendly. Feel free to reach out to us. (laughs) All right. But we will see you guys next week. All right. Bye. All right. Bye.